0: Martin, can you turn it on to record just now? Is that right? Anyone know where the click has gone? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just felt like as we were singing those songs and um, Sarah Sarah knows as much as I do that some of those are a little bit unfamiliar, but the words for them are are brilliant, really, really um, deep and solid and actually We need stuff like that, um, because that's kind of what sustains us, those songs that that reflect something of the Word of God. But as we were singing those songs, I just felt that coming through them, and I want this to be on the recording, because I think it's maybe for some of the people who are not here, (laughs) who are at home, not home because they're on holiday or whatever, but just at home, that God is for us. And through many of those songs, I just felt that, that it was like God was saying, I'm for you, I'm for you. And, and maybe some of you guys sat out there and, and some of you guys at home on the tape, <laughs> we don't have tapes anymore, um, need to hear that word, God is for you. He's for you. Uh, he's fighting your battles, which seems like a contradiction, actually, because if I'm fighting them and he's fighting them, it seems he's fighting them. In death in life, and in confidence, in the power of His great love, it, you know nothing, nothing comes be- between those two places. God is for you, He's for you. He's with you. He's, he's walking with you through whatever it is that you are walking through, fighting against or with or whatever, just wrestling, feeling weary from He is for you. And so I wanted to just say that, and I wanted it to be registered, because I think if you're at home today, because you couldn't face it, we kind of get that, <laughs> but God is for you. He's on your side, and uh, that's important. So, moving on. If, you're, uh, if you weren't here last week, that's okay, but we're looking at the Lord's Prayer together, and uh, we're looking at it kind of phrase by phrase, so let me give you a little bit of a an update on last week, so it doesn't matter too much if you weren't here. We did "Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed be Your Name." Or um, perhaps more accurately, is the kind of version that I've put at the bottom there. "Abba, Abba, uh, Abba, our Abba, our Father in the heavens." We talked about the fact that. The the Jews had a concept of three heavens. The the first heaven, which was the air we breathe and that the birds fly in. The second heaven, which was the vastness of the night sky. And the third heaven, which was that non-physical realm where God dwells. But he dwells in all of those realms. He is both near and transcendent. Our Community together not just my but our father expressing that intimacy of relationship in the heavens, giving us that right perspective honored is your name may your name may your identity and reputation be honored not just in our prayer but through our words and obedience A pair of glasses would not go astray at this point <laughs> Our Father, Abba in the heavens, near and transcendent, may your name, identity, and reputation be honoured through our words and obedience. And that is what's worked out through the rest of the prayer. So today we come on to Your Kingdom Come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you ready? Okay, a little more enthusiasm would not go astray at this point. I haven't even started. So, Your Kingdom Come your kingdom come. History repeatedly reinforces to us that human kingdoms rise and fall with regularity, doesn't it? Whether it's pharaohs or Caesars or emperors or czars or presidents or queens or prime ministers or dictators. They come in, they rule with great economic and military power, at least some of them do, controlling nations and even empires, but only for a season. And as we run through history, we see the rise and the fall of nation and empire after nation and empire, after leader, after leader, after leader. leader. Jesus comes, and in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, one of the very first things that he publicly says, he says this, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's a simple message. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn around, and put your trust in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a simple message of a kingdom that transcends geographical and temporal limits. It's not measured in mountain ranges or seas or centuries. It's bigger than that. It's outside of our time frame. The kingdom of God is going to surpass and does surpass the ambitious longings of a Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar, a Persian Darius, a Greek Alexander, a Syrian Antiochus, an Egyptian Ptolemy, or a Roman Caesar. It is more than that. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is near, it carried a power and reignited a dream that had begun to fade amongst first century Jews. This kingdom language had a deep resonance in the Jews around Jesus at his time. There were many references to the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And when they heard the kingdom of God, they called back to the golden era of King David's to the point at which he was a wonderful king where there was wealth in the land, where the empire stretched from the river Euphrates to the Mediterranean Sea and furthest to the north and the south of any point in Israel's history. So when Jesus said the kingdom of God is near, they went, this is so exciting. This is so exciting. We're going to go back there because after King David They were followed by ever-increasing disappointment as one king after another came and went, losing territory, dividing the nation, dividing the tribes, becoming increasingly evil in the eyes of God. And now Jesus had come and he was saying, the kingdom of God is near. And they heard its revolutionary overtones and they thought, yes, this is what we're waiting for. This is who we're waiting for. This is what we want And very early on, they tried to make him king because they thought that he would overthrow the Romans and all would be well. Their kingdom expectations ran high. They wanted liberation, not oppression. They wanted the restoration of the land. They wanted to be preeminent among the nations. They wanted to see the kingdom restored. But Jesus was talking about a different kingdom. And his challenge was to pursue God's kingdom and not their own kingdom. And that's still the challenge, isn't it? To pursue God's kingdom and not our own. Whenever we talk about the kingdom of God, it brings tensions to us. God is king, isn't he? Come here. Let's have a little conversation. Right. God is king. Well done. We have just sung how many songs? (laughs) Saying God is king? I mean, they might not literally exactly have said that, but He is King, He is King of the whole earth, He is King of the nations, He is King over all time and space. The Lord is King. But there's a tension already there is because he's not everybody's king, is he? He's not recognised as king. And so we need that responsive and relational dynamic to that which says he is my king. Not just he is king, but he is my king. And there's a tension already in the kingdom. But there's also the tension of the now and the not Yet. The kingdom of God is near, is what Jesus said. It's here. He says it's among you. It's within you. It's now. There is something of the kingdom of God now, the rule of God that we experience now. His grace, his forgiveness, the presence of his Holy Spirit, sometimes healing, sometimes miracles, the expression of justice and compassion and mercy. The kingdom of God is here now, isn't it? But it's also not, is it? Because there is that not yet dynamic. There is that eschatological, which only means thinking about the last things. But it's a cool word, isn't it, to use on a Sunday morning. There is that eschatological dimension. And we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come that there will be a final and complete experience of God's eternal rule on that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and everyone will say, He is my King. And we live between those two places, the now and the not yet, the imminent and the eschatological, for those of you who like long words. We live in the middle between those two things, wrestling with the tension of them. And in this prayer, Jesus further turns our attention to what interests God. Your kingdom come. Many of us in this room have grown up in the most me-centered generation that has probably ever existed we are concerned about what I can get, what I can have, what I can achieve. It's about me and my rights. I was reading uh, this morning about the uh, increase in plane rage. Now, this is not between planes, because that would be really concerning. <laughs> Passengers on planes. So we've, we've gone from being in your own home to road rage to plane rage. Because, well, lots of things. Because of stress. Because of increased everything. But also because of an increased sense of me. And I'm not going to excuse myself from this. Because when I sit on a plane, if there's somebody irritating... (laughs) Determine that how you wish. (laughs) I think, I've got to be here for hours. And I can't move, and I'm here, and, and, I, and I don't go into plane rage. But, you know, not yet, anyway. Um, but there's something about this is making it uncomfortable for me. I have paid. I am here. I want it to be nice for me. I mean, none of you ever have this thought, obviously, because you're all perfect. But we have that, don't we? Me, what can I get? How's it going to work out for me? How am I going to feel comfortable? Even, and I'm going to tread on some of your toes, I don't like that song. It's not one I like. No, we are part of the me generation, aren't we? And Jesus makes us focus on God's, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. And when we pray, your kingdom come, and I apologise for using this word, but I couldn't think of another one. We are asking God to actualize. sorry about that, to make real his kingdom. To let us experience what Jesus has been talking about. We are praying, let your sovereign rule, God, come amongst us. Let us know the presence of your Holy Spirit. Let us know your peace and righteousness, your justice and mercy. Let us know a place where there's no crying or pain or hunger or violence, no hatred, no unforgiveness, no bitterness, no lust, where we are giving and praying for the glory of God and seeking his kingdom first. That's all wrapped up in your kingdom come, your kingdom come, Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount starts like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God." Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Your kingdom come. A kingdom of those who are poor in spirit, who are mourning, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful and pure and peacemaking and persecuted. Your kingdom come. And Jesus goes on to talk about being salt and light demonstrating the kingdom. He talks about the things that touch on our own hearts and lives. He said, you've heard it say, don't murder. But I say, if you hate somebody, it's the same. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But but I say, if you look at somebody lustfully in your heart, it's the same thing. He talks about divorce. He talks about making oaths without thinking carefully about what we're committing to. He talks about retaliation. He talks about going the extra mile. He talks about loving our enemies. He talks about giving to those in need. Your kingdom come. It's not just out there, is it? It's the things that touch on our own hearts and lives. Your kingdom come. Your glory come. It's about us seeing and implementing his kingdom amongst us. And that starts with us. starts with me in my own life. Your kingdom come. But there are so many threats, aren't there, to kingdom life. So many threats to kingdom life. Here's some of them. Selfish ambition. Not ambition itself. There's actually a couple of words used for ambition in the New Testament. One of them is, if you like, neutral. Or we can be ambitious for the things of God, but... Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is destructive. It's divisive. It's about our own glory. And we're quite pleased with our own glory, aren't we? And I know it's not really nice to say that, but we kind of are, aren't we? But when we seek God's glory, it eliminates the pursuit of personal glory, doesn't it? His glory matters most, more, always. Our own agenda. I mean, we all have our own agenda, don't we? When we pursue our own agenda, potentially it threatens that kingdom life within us. Many of you in your workplaces will talk about silo mentalities, but... That's the same in the church when we're just pursuing our own thing in our own space or our church is doing that in its space. And we're not outside. We can't see outside of that because we're so focused. And we become competitive. And we were talking from 1 Corinthians a few months ago about them saying, "Oh, I follow Apollos and I follow Silas and I follow Paul and the divisiveness that brings into the church. And what a great threat that is to the kingdom of God We follow Jesus, not anyone else. We follow Jesus. We're for Jesus. We're for his glory. Not for the glory of ourselves or our favourite Christian or our pet worship band or anything else. We're following Jesus. It's his agenda. And it so easily leads to a competitiveness amongst us. Last Sunday morning... Champions Church, which is on the road to Carlton, they were having a special celebration service because they've opened their new car park. Nice little cheers, good. Now, opening car park may not seem like, you know, something to get super excited about, but for them, it's part of their vision for the kingdom of God and the gospel where they are. And that's why it's exciting. And that's why it's exciting for us as much as it is for them. Because we share together in the building of that kingdom. Not our kingdom or their kingdom. God's kingdom. And that level of competitiveness can be really destructive to the church and the kingdom of God. Sometimes our focus is too local. Too local as in this is our church and that's what we're interested in. Too local as in we're only concerned about Skipton, if we're super generous, too local if it's just Yorkshire. Actually, it's not just about us. Open Doors put on their website this morning that we should pray and celebrate with the Christians of Iraq, those who have been um, thrown out of uh, Karakosh and have found themselves in Erbil, And they're meeting together to worship in prefab buildings. But they're still the church, aren't they? The church in Iraq, and there are not many believers left in Iraq. Many have fled and others have been murdered. But they're part of the kingdom of God, and we are part of the kingdom of God with them. And we must never lose that wider focus. And we can be small-minded. Small-minded leads to mean-spirited, doesn't it? Where we don't share we don't encourage, we don't praise, we don't celebrate what others are doing because, well, that might mean we're not doing so well or we might be less or you know, we need to give. Jesus said give and it's given back to you. That's always the, the principle, isn't it? It's brilliant what Michael Holland's doing at Champions Church. It's brilliant the way he's turning it around there. It's brilliant what's happening in that community. It's a whole estate there. It's pretty much unreached by the gospel. It's fantastic. It's great that Veronica's starting a family service on a Sunday afternoon once a month. I mean, there's like shed loads of people to reach, aren't there? Can't all fit in here. (laughs) It's brilliant that that's going on. We should celebrate that. Your kingdom come. It forces us to loosen our grip on our own kingdoms, doesn't it? It challenges us, our own selfish ambition, our own pride. It confronts our own competitive spirit and our need for personal achievement. It redirects our hearts towards the rule of God. Your kingdom come. Right. And the second phrase, (laughs) which lasts less long than the first phrase. Your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Put your hand up for me if you have a will. I mean a sort of a heart-level will, as opposed to one of those written ones. sign it yeah. Anyone put your hand up if you 've got a will? Quite concerned that some of you are not putting your hands up. <laughs> if you've um, had or been around children, you will realize that um, that, that everyone is born with a will, and uh, it's maybe roughly about five minutes before that, that comes into action. <laughs> And uh, pretty soon, this small bundle realises that their will is quite powerful. And one of the first ways that you work that out as a, as a caring adult is um, when your child is sat in a high chair and uh, they notice that if they pick up whatever's on the tray in front of them and drop it on the floor, it magically controls the caring adult to pick up said thing on the floor and put it back again. And that's really good fun, and that you can do that a lot of times. (laughs) And the caring adult will, in the most part, continue to pick up the thing off the floor and put it back again, getting slightly more... less calm as that happens. And then you learn that that was quite fun, and you can manipulate objects and drop them places by your will. And then you learn that if you turn in, go into boundary mill, because said caring adult thinks that that would be a lovely way to spend the morning. And whilst you're in boundary mill, you think it's really boring. This, if you throw yourself on the floor and scream, <laughs> the caring adult will be overwhelmed with embarrassment and take you away. See, our will is very important, isn't it? And very powerful. And that two-year-old still lives within us. It's just that we learn over time that a better way to get out of boundary mill is to suggest going for a coffee somewhere rather than throwing ourselves on the floor and screaming. We learn to be more clever, more controlled. But... That willfulness, wanting and demanding that our will will be done, is still there because it reflects our fallenness, doesn't it? Jesus prayed. In Gethsemane, some time after he taught the disciples to pray this prayer, in the darkness, all alone, Facing both physically, emotionally, and spiritually the harshest reality ever known to a person, Jesus knelt in the garden and said, Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Yet, I think yet, yet is a very powerful word there, yet. Despite it all, despite the pain, despite the separation from the Father, despite the accusations, the torture, despite what it would cost, yet. Not my will, but yours be done. And you could argue that that prayer was a bit of a defeat, Okay, then, God, you win. (laughs) And some of my prayers are definitely like that. But Jesus' prayer opened the door to real life. And when we speak those words from our hearts, they can prove revolutionary to us and to others in our sphere throughout life. Yet not my will, but yours be done. We have a will, don't we? What we choose is important. What we decide is important. It's part of how we're made. It's the identity God's created us with. And God asks us in the Lord's Prayer to address that cornerstone issue of our lives and allow our will to be subject to the will of the Father. Your will be done. And that prayer springs from a confidence That God's will is both informed and ideal, and that he knows and wants what is best for us. Now, sometimes we have a bit of a struggle with that, don't we? But our God loves us, and he is good, and he knows all things, so it kind of adds up, doesn't it? Perhaps more than any other question we'd like to know the answer to. It's, um, "What's God's will for us?" And many of you have asked me over the years, "Well, what do you think God's will is for me?" And I'm usually really helpful and say, "I don't know." <laughs> we want clarity, don't we? We really want clarity. We want to know, if I make this choice, what will happen? And if I make this choice, what will happen? We want clarity, we want to know. We want God to email us. We want Him to text us every day and tell us, "This is it." Now sometimes he does, when there's not literally um, when there's a good and a bad choice scripturally, there is a clear way. That's the right way. That isn't. But when you come to, shall I go to that university or that university? Shall I do this course or this course? Shall we move house to this place or the other place? Sometimes God gets properly involved and you know, often it's not as clear as that, is it? Because we want clarity, but God wants us to trust him. We say your will be done to trust him. He doesn't always provide us with a map, but he is always our guide. He walks with us. He holds our hand. He speaks with us when we need it. And we walk with him. Your will be done. And we have that wrestle, don't we? Between our willfulness and our willingness to trust him. Your will be done. The struggle and the place of surrender. Wrestling with God's okay, by the way. There's lots of characters in the Bible that do that. Come out okay. Well, can't walk anymore. but We can do that if our heart is your will be done. Sometimes it takes us a while to get there, doesn't it? Your will be done. To surrender. Your will be done. When we pray that prayer, it leads us to a purity of heart, actually, because we let go of other things. To a singleness of focus, it's about him that can transform us. It's a journey, a journey from willfulness, I just don't do what I want to do, to willingness, cause for courage. Because actually it's courageous to surrender to someone else. I was at a meeting in the week and um, somebody there said, uh, we were talking about discipleship, somebody said there, that another person had said to them, you can't say no, Lord. You know, and you kind of go, "Eh." because if he's Lord, you can't really say no, because those two things don't go together. Either he's Lord, in which case you say yes, or he's not. Okay, we can, we can say no, Lord, but re- genuinely that's an issue, isn't it? It takes courage, courage to say your will be done. And Jesus says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that would be good, wouldn't it? To see on earth what is in heaven. No resistance to the purposes of God. No rebellion, no more revolts. To see the will of God as it is in heaven, perfect, pure, where all is well, mirrored on the earth. Well, that's something worth praying for, isn't it? And that starts with us. As I surrender to his lordship, as I say, your kingdom come in me, your will be done in me. Things change. And then as Sarah does that, and as Ruth does that, As Barry does that. As Ken does that. Then things start to change, don't they? Because you end up with a community of people who are all saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. whose lives are becoming increasingly surrendered to the Lord. And once you have a community, then that starts to overflow beyond and beyond. And there is a hope that one day his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We're going to share communion together. Um, Can we sing something as a deacon?